Welcome to the Asian Racing Report podcast. My name is Michael Cox. I'm the editor at Asian Racing Report. And today we're talking Breeders' Cup and specifically the chances of the nine Japanese horses that have headed to California for the big weekend of racing at Santa Anita. Joining us to answer the key questions relating to the, the Japanese horses that have descended on the Breeders' Cup is our chief journalist at Asian Racing Report, David Morgan. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks. Good to be here and looking forward to the weekend. Let's talk about the Breeders' Cup and where it fits in to the, the Japanese um, thought process when it comes to travelling horses overseas. We've heard a lot about the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe and it's the mythology that's built up around the race at Longchamp and it's basically their inability to win it. Deep Impact couldn't win it. Um, 31 horses have tried and failed from Japan. But when you look at the races that Japan have travelled to overseas, we see nine horses here in uh, California this weekend. Is the arc really the pinnacle of what Japan is after or are, they, or are we making too much of it? Uh, I think a bit of, bit of both. Um, from my perspective looking at it, and you can look back through the records of horses that have run in the arc from Japan and when they've gone with big teams and when they haven't, I think you look at the arc as a race that they certainly want to win. Um, but I think there's a lot of pragmatism involved. Um, this year, look, you look talk about the mythology. When Equinox won in Dubai straight away, people were talking about, oh, this is obviously going to the arc. But that's not the vibe that was coming out from Japan. I think after the, the heavy rain of 2022 and that slog through the mud that Alpinista won, where they took a good team, they just got smashed in that, in that ground. There seemed to be a feeling that, well, Breeders' Cups in California this year at Santa Anita. That West Coast is a real pull. It's it's easier to travel to. And there seemed to be a sense, even in March and April and May, that the Breeders' Cup was going to be the focus this year. It wasn't going to be Longchamp. And, of course, that's how it played out. And I think the media builds up this mythology around the arc a lot. I've seen comments on social media this week from from regular race fans that say, oh, they must really regret that they haven't gone to the arc. Well, I don't think that Silk Racing and Mr. Yonemoto and everyone connected with Equinox is thinking, oh, man, I wish we'd gone to the arc after they've just won the Tenno show the way they did. And I think people outside of Japan underestimate the importance of those big Japanese races in the autumn, the prize money that's on offer, the prestige that there is within Japan. Um, and I think... It's very easy to get hooked on this arc narrative, that this obsession after we've had, you know, El Condor Passer or Fev, that they really, really want to win it. Yes, they want to win it, but they want to win big races all around the world. They take big teams to Dubai, big teams to Saudi. We can go back to the 90s when they first started taking horses seriously to Europe. Um, they, they, they wanted to win those big races and they wanted to win them so that they could showcase what Japanese horses could do. Before we get to the big team that's tackling the races in the Breeders' Cup, I want to talk about Equinox and some comments that his regular jockey, Christophe Lemaire, made in an interview um, before the Breeders' Cup indicating that uh, Equinox, who has probably at least one race, probably two left in his four-year-old season, had been sort of commonly assumed that he would retire after that and go to a lucrative career at stud. But Lemaire just offering the hint that Equinox could race on at five, which would be exciting news. What did you make of his comments? What's your feeling? Do you think he'll race on? Well, first of all, I think his comment was really exciting. Um, what he said to Matt Chapman was, you know, he was talking about the 
way that Japanese owners and breeders, they'll, they're happy to keep these horses in training at four um, and into the five-year-old season. We've become used to seeing it with the, the fillies staying in training as mares, as four and five-year-olds because of the, the way the club system's set up with silk racing, Sunday racing, uh, those big big racing clubs. The, the way it's set up, those mares stay in training and retire in the March of the six-year-old season. So we've seen that with the likes of Armandai, Gentle Donna, with the Colts. Um, there is no restriction on when they when they retire. They they could go on till the seven and eight if they wanted to. Um, but what we generally have seen in in recent times, with particularly Contrail winning the the Triple Crown, um, it's, it's usual to see a horse staying training at four, but ne- not necessarily at five. Um, that's a bit of a question mark. Are they going to stay in training at five? And I think it's really exciting that Christophe Lemaire has said that this horse even inferred that this horse might stay in training at five. He said, and hopefully Equinox will be here racing again as a five-year-old, which could be a hint, or it might just be Christoph thinking wishfully. But, you know, we've, we've seen we've seen it happen both ways. Like I mentioned, Contrail there. He retired at the end of his four-year-old season. Deep Impact, of course, Triple Crown winner, absolute champion. He retired at the end of his four-year-old season. But there are other horses, or Fev, that we've talked about. He... He retired at the end of his five-year-old season, um, had two shots at the arc. Going back to the 90s, Oguri Cap, who was a great champion, uh, won the Arima Keen in his last race as a five-year-old. Um, you've got other horses. Equinox's own sire, Kitasan Black, stayed in training at five. Um, going back, TM Upper O was a champion. Narita Bryan won the Triple Crown and was still racing at five. So, you know, there are these precedents. It could go either way with this. And my feeling is that if, if Christoph said that, Clearly, the discussion is being had, um, and if this horse is sound, perhaps we will see him again next season, and that that's brilliant for for Japanese racing and also excellent for world horse racing. Particularly if they do then decide that next year we go to the Ark, you know. Um, you mentioned the sire of uh, Equinox Kitasan Black racing on at five, and the fact that he was a a, a more slow developing superstar than perhaps. Deep impact, or for those um, those triple crown winners, that's probably encouraging for them in terms of that Kitasan's Black's best racing was at five, um, through and four and five. That this guy could be the same. Yeah, certainly, and that's what Christophe Lemaire's always said about this horse that he was going to get better as a four year old. He's saying he could be better as a five year old. You know, he's. His profile through his three-year-old season, where he was second um, in the Satsuki show and placed again in the derby, just beaten by Jules. <laughs> we just saw him last weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, beaten in those two classics. And then the break through the summer, as we see with the Japanese horses, and he came back in the autumn and he was a better horse. He'd matured. Um, and we've, we've both talked about this, and you were mentioning it earlier to me, um, about the way that they train this horse. You know, before the big race coming in with those in those gallops where he's put between horses and the development of Equinox as a, you know, as a, as a young horse developing into a man and into a champion. And we see this, this uh, animal, this beautiful animal racing last weekend, just cruising through a 2000 meter race, setting that record, that really fast time. And it, it looked like he, it was nothing to him. He did it so easily. So you've got to think this horse is coming to a place that is really exceptional. And could he carry that on, that on as a five-year-old? It's a really exciting prospect. Let's get on to the races coming up this weekend. Um, and I'm going to start from the top. Probably the most talked about horse at Santa Anita this week. Ushba Tesoro, the 
Dubai World Cup winner. He comes into the Breeders' Cup Classic as one of the favourites. What would it mean for Japanese racing, uh, predominantly turf jurisdiction, to win what is probably the most prestigious dirt race in the world, the hardest to win? It would be huge. Um, This... You know, you think of these big races, the Dubai World Cup, the Saudi Cup, but the granddaddy is the Breeders' Cup Classic. We're talking internationally, the dirt races. It's it's in America. America, they're the dirt race kings. If this horse could go and win the Breeders' Cup Classic, that would be massive for Japanese racing again um, and massive for their dirt, dirt track runners. You know, we saw back in the spring where Mandarin Hero from the NAR, which is the second tier of Japanese racing, um, he went to Santa Anita and he went really close to winning the Santa Anita Derby. That that was a bit of a wake-up call. And then obviously he and Derma Satogaki went to the Kentucky Derby and you know they, they didn't they didn't come close to winning it, but they were there. Um and if you think that if Ushba Tesoro can win the Breeders' Cup Classic, he's already got a Dubai World Cup in his pocket. He's a prolific winner. If he can win the Breeders' Cup Classic, that just opens things up again, like wow. It's not just the turf horses. They're not just going to Saudi and Dubai and winning winning races. Um, these these Japanese horses, they're they're getting over there to America and starting to do it as well. And it would it would be massive. You've got these dirt horses in a, in back in Japan that are really good horses. It's not just Ushba Tesoro. You've got horses like on the NAR again. Mick Fire has been a revelation this season. The three year old unbeaten. You've got horses like uh, Michio Hario, Lemon Pop, Tio Keynes. And then, of course, Mandarin Hero, again, that other NAR horse. There, there are really good dirt horses there in Japan. It's, it's a solid pool of horses. And we could see, we could even see more of a push to perhaps going for that Kentucky Derby if Ushba Tesoro could win this Breeders' Cup Classic or one run well. It just gives the Japanese that much more confidence again to say, yeah, we, we can take you on. Let's talk about Songline uh, on the Asian Racing Review this earlier this week. Andrew Lejeune asked me to name my most likely winner of the Japanese contingent heading to the Breeders' Cup. And I said, Songline in the Breeders' Cup mile. It was a pretty safe pick, to be honest. She's a three-time Group 1 winner, two times this year, proven traveller. There's a lot to like about it. Which horse do you think stands in the way of uh, my prediction? Um, well, look, the, the Godolphin filly, uh, Morge, She's she's done absolutely nothing wrong. She's won four from four this season. And she's fascinating because she's a filly that was racing in Dubai early in the year. Um, she won a couple of races there. And then she went to the Guineas as a three-year-old. She went to the Guineas in England, the Thousand Guineas. And she won. And we didn't see her again until she came out a couple of weeks ago at Keeneland. And she won again at a grade one over the nine furlongs, I think it was, in the Queen Elizabeth II at Keeneland there. So she's a filly that she's got class, she's got quality, she's lightly raced, she's got that lovely string of four ones by her name for this season, and she's proven that she's adaptable. She's she's gone to Dubai and she's won fresh, not a problem. She's gone to England, won fresh, not, not a problem. Had a break, come back, won in the US, not a problem. She seems to be somewhat bomb-proof in that she travels, she handles different conditions um, and she's clearly a classy filly now songline again same she's traveled around the world um she's more mature she's stronger her first up run for the autumn in the in the group two where she was just narrowly beaten was a, was a really good run 
She got checked a little bit. You would expect her to come on a lot. There's no way she was fully tuned up for that race. She'll come on a lot for this. So it's going to be fascinating. And there are other good horses in there. But I see Morge as being the the real, you know, Philly coming into form or already in form that, that could be the one to, to scupper Songline. But Songline does look a very good prospect to win that race. Let's go from a horse that's been rock solid in form, Songline, to one that has been a little bit disappointing of late given what we know he is capable of, and that is Shireya in the Breeders' Cup turf, 15 to 1 on the, the morning line. Any chance he can turn things around here? Um, the weather there is a chance because he's a quality horse. Uh, we know what he's capable of at his best. I'd be... I, I'm a bit worried about him in the, that last run. Uh, just... It didn't offer much hope in terms of you know if, if a horse runs and is just beaten or beaten a length sort of two lengths you think well you know he's, he's first up for the autumn campaign he probably needed it but i thought he ran pretty badly he was a long way back um and look we we know he had issues in that he was kept he'd been off since the uh dubai race in march so he'd been off for a long time, but to be beaten that that far, nearly 20 lengths, I think, up from memory by prognosis, I'd be worried about him. But on the flip side of that, they would not have taken him across if they thought there was anything wrong with him. They must be happy with the horse. So maybe it is he just had an off day and you put a line through it, but I struggle to think of many horses that can go off a run that, that badly and then pop in and win a, a top group one race. It's then traveling halfway across the Pacific, well, the whole way across the Pacific Ocean to do it, you know? It's, um, yeah, I'd be worried about him. He wouldn't be something, a horse I'd be confident of. We've covered three of the main chances there. Uh, there's six others. Which of the others do you think maybe isn't getting the media attention or the, the discussion that maybe they deserve? Maybe a horse is flying under the radar there from the, the Japanese group. Yeah, look, there's a horse in the turf sprint called Jasper Crone. We could get into this. How do you pronounce Jasper Crone? Is it Jasper Crone? Jasper Crone? We'll go with Murray Johnson's. He says Jasper Crone. He's the JRA race caller. Um, and Jasper Crone is, he's a good horse and he ran a good race in the sprinter stakes. He got out in front and he just got run down. But the, you know, that finish at Nakayama, it's, it, it is stiff. It's quite a climb, a, sh a sharp, steep climb to the finish. I think at Santa Anita, look, he might struggle to lead with these fast American horses. But I think he'll love that that sprint at, at Santa Anita. Um, he'll, like I say, he's coming into it in good form. I think he's he's probably double figure odds at this point. I think he's one to have a look at. Maybe not getting the respect he deserves. One last observation of these Japanese horses there, and maybe some insight from you. You report on uh, Japanese racing every week here on. Asian Racing Report, and you you speak to the jockeys and, and trainers and have travelled there a couple of times in the last 18 months, seven of the nine horses will be ridden by Japanese jockeys. There was a time when it would be commonplace, I felt like, that when horses would go overseas, they'd look to the foreign jockey in, in those conditions. You know, Yuga Kawada has shown he could do it on the big stage. He won the Dubai World Cup on uh, Ushba Tesoro. He reunites with him again. Um, are perceptions changing within Japan on the capabilities of Japanese jockeys? I, I think so. I think, and look, we can talk you Takatake. He's he's ridden all over the world, but you know he was the standout. He was he's the greatest. So he would pick rides up overseas. Um, 
other times, I think specifically going to Hong Kong, it was quite often you'd see jockeys replace going to Hong Kong or replace going to Dubai. And Yuga Kawada himself has ridden horses in the past that when they've travelled overseas, he wasn't on them. That changed when he, re- he rode Love's Only You at the Breeders' Cup. And I spoke to him about this last November. There was this feeling from when he was speaking to me that there is this confidence now that he himself is more confident that people have the confidence in him, if that makes sense. That, you know, Love's Only You opened things up. He won a Breeders' Cup race at Santa Anita on a Japanese horse. Um, and bear in mind that Marshall Lorraine was ridden by Yashin Murphy, which would be the more, you know, think more obvious, oh, they're going to put a, an overseas jockey on. But with Love's Only You, it was Yuga Kawada, and, and that changed things a little bit. And I think we've seen that confidence more in some of the top Japanese jockeys, particularly Kawada. Um, other jockeys may still get pushed out, but when you've got a man of Kawada's ability, who's proven he can do it, I think Yuga Kawada will, will start to keep these rides, as we're seeing is happening now. Current leader in the uh, championship there, Yuga Kawada in Japan. That's something to keep an eye on over the next few months. Thanks for joining us, David, on the podcast. Oh, thanks. It's been great. Right, looking forward to a big weekend of racing. Please go to our comments. Leave us a review. Five stars. It helps push us along and be joining us next time on Asian Racing Report podcast. Mm-hmm.